Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Firefox News Online. technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. Bear with me. Welcome to Firefox News Online, America's number one internet radio and internet video broadcast. The rules are very simple. No personal attacks, threats, or hate speech will be tolerated at any time. If you commit to these acts, you will be removed from the chat room. And if we're using a phone line, the same rules apply. Also, Bear in mind that this is a roundtable discussion format, so please, no cross-talking during the broadcast. And finally, the views and opinions that will be expressed in this broadcast are that of the host and those who call in, and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of anyone else or this broadcasting service. The use of media materials is protected by the Fair Use Clause of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, which allows for the rebroadcast of copyrighted materials for the purposes of commentary, criticism, and education. Firefox News Online Productions and its news division adhere to the criteria of the various laws 100% across the And now, on with tonight's broadcast.
Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Firefox News Online, live on the multiple broadcasting platform. <laughs> Easy for me to say. We're live. It's, 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 I know, it's just, I get tongue-tied sometimes. It's cool. <laughs> we are live, large and in charge, on the multiple broadcasting platforms used by the Firefox News Online Internet Broadcasting Network. And normally I would have a talking point for, for, for the broadcast, but today... I'm going to forego the talking points because I have a very special guest that I'll be bringing on very shortly. A young woman, mother of two, is right now sitting in Germany with her two children. These children, well, I'm going to let her tell the story when I bring her on because this incredible mother of, of, of two, this wonderful person should not be going through what she's going through. No mother should have to go through this kind of experience. No parent should ever have to face the kind of insanity that she has been faced with. Last night, I sent a letter via the contact page of the White House. I sent a letter to President Trump on her behalf. It is my hope that President Trump will come to bat for her. As I've said in the advertisements leading up to this broadcast, my advice is real simple, ladies and gentlemen. Please, make sure you've got plenty of Kleenex on hand because... This, will t- this story will tug at the heartstrings. And I know as, as a stepfather, I cannot even remotely imagine how I would feel if it were my child. I don't know what I would do if, it were, if I were in this position that, that this wonderful person is being put through right now. So without further delay, I'd like to bring Raquel. Okay, I'm doing. I'm going to bring Raquel on. I am terrible with last names. I, I, I. For anyone who's been watching and listening to this broadcast over the years, you know I cannot pronounce names to save my life. Even my own name gets a little tricky. So. Let me bring Raquel on here because she is absolutely uh, she's absolutely something, and, and I and I cannot stress this enough. Uh, when you have a person uh, who is dealing with the insanity that this incredible person is dealing with, I firmly believe it is best that she tell the tale of what's happening, and. With that, Raquel, welcome to Firefox News Online. And uh, good afternoon, George. Now, Raquel, you and I have had a chance to to talk uh, before today's broadcast, and when you and I talked. 
I have to be honest, when I got off the line with you that day, my heart sank. Being put through. So I'm going to take a step back and let you tell the, the listeners and viewers of this broadcast what what has happened what happened, what's been happening, and any updates to what's happening that you have. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Rick Hell. Thanks so much, George. Um, we are going now on, I think it's been about nine months that I have been dealing with this uh, problem. And I've come a long way, and I've learned a lot through the process. And the process is not easy. Um, and I sure wish that the United States government were doing a lot more to assist me and other parents. Uh, right now, there are 700 children who are who are have been kidnapped outside of the United States, and they're still abroad, and they're still either missing or they're unable to come home. And it's I think it's a very big problem. Uh, there's a group that I've been working with, and I want to give them a shout out. It's called I Stand for Parents, and I got involved in that organization a few months back before I came to Germany. And they've been giving me a lot of advice each step along the way, pretty much keeping me grounded because I'm pretty I'm an optimistic lady, uh, so I, I focus on something to get done and I go get it done, and that's just who I am. Uh, but this situation was not has not been easy, and I'm still here and I'm still trying to get it done. But it's going to happen. We're winning. We are definitely winning, and I have some good updates for today. But if I can, I'll go ahead and start from the beginning. So I was in an estranged relationship with my husband of 13 years, and we have two children together. Uh, we were more or less living under the same roof, uh, but separated as a couple. Um, but we were amicable at the time, and we were discussing a separation, of, of definitely a separation, living apart. Uh, but at that point in time, we were living together, and we were getting along fine. Um, the summertime came, he asked me whether he could take the kids to Germany, to his hometown, to visit his parents, aging parents, and I said, okay. Uh, meanwhile, uh, what I didn't know was that he was planning and plotting the kidnapping of our children. So he convinced me to go ahead and get German passports for the kids, because while they are American citizens, and they've never left the United States of America up until that point, by virtue of their father being German, they automatically can get, uh, can be and get services from the German government as German citizens. But their first citizenship is the United States of America. That's where they were born. They speak English. Um, so when he talked about getting the passports, he had to renew his own German passport in Miami at the German consulate, and sort of made it like, let's just do a weekend out of it. We'll go down to Miami, we'll spend the weekend, we'll get the passports for all three of us, and it's just for travel purposes anyway. He had a return flight ticket, which they were due back August 12th in time for school in Florida. And I, while we were estranged at the same time, him and I were getting along well, this was something that I could never even imagine that he would do to me. So, so I had no idea that he was planning and plotting this. Uh, to be honest, some of my friends, you know, 
warned me, hey, you think this is a good idea? You, you, you trust him that he's going to, that he's actually going to bring the kids back? And I'm like, sure, of course he is. I've got the return ticket. He has the return tickets. Why wouldn't he come back? You know, so that was my attitude back then. And sure enough, um, two weeks into the trip, he contacted me and let me know that he wasn't coming back. Um, and that was probably one of the scariest days of my life to hear those words come out of his mouth. I kind of kept my fingers crossed. I waited for the trip to be over until the day that they were supposed to be returned. I tried to convince him not to do this, that it was a federal crime, uh, that I would, uh, I would fight him on it, that I would get the kids back one way or the other, that this was the wrong thing to do for the kids, for me, for him, for all of us. And I was unable to do so. So on August 12th, when he didn't return, the first thing I did was file a complaint. I had already filed a complaint with the FBI at that point because um, when I started looking at websites uh, from the State Department and so on, they said that this was considered an international parental kidnapping. Um, even the threat of it being an international parental kidnapping opened the door for me to make a complaint with the FBI, which I did. Um, then on August 12th, I made file a police report with the Tampa PD. Um, then after that, um, I got in touch with the State Department. I also I made a complaint with them. I also got in touch with the embassy in Munich uh, with the head of the top dog. I want to call her the top dog because she really is um, in Munich, who is I'm still in contact today. Uh, and she's really doing everything uh, she can't help us, which I really appreciate. So I also contacted my congresswoman, uh, Kathy Castor. I filed a report with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, and I kind of hit every single button that I, I can hit as far as enforcement or what do I do to get the kids back? What's going on? How do you, what do I do? And basically the advice I was given was I have to file for divorce and get an order that way. Or, or rather, the priority was, or the best avenue was, I found, to be the Hague Convention Treaty. So I looked up the Hague Treaty, and I figured out that Germany and the USA are participants. And the way the Hague Treaty is set up, I only had to prove two things. One, that Florida, Tampa Bay Area and Florida was their habitual residence, which it was, and I was able to prove that. And the other point I had to prove was that I was exercising my parental rights up until the time they were abducted, which I was able to prove that as well. So I filed an application through the Hague Convention to return the children, OPI children, to their habitual residence, Tampa, Florida. Um, once I got that accomplished through the State Department, I hired a German attorney to represent me in that Hague hearing. So just quickly to explain how that works is that once you're a participant in the Hague Treaty, then you're required to appoint a state agency that handles this. So for us, it's the State Department. For Germany, it's the German Central Authority. Once the case is accepted, and my case was accepted because I already established the two main points, then they bring it down to the family court their uh, family court jurisdiction. And this is not a custody jurisdiction. This is only a hate treaty jurisdiction because the only state that has jurisdiction over custody is, is the 13th Judicial Circuit in Tampa. And I already filed for divorce. 
So, so basically, had to hire an attorney in the state to file for divorce, and at the same time, hire an attorney in Germany to handle the hate proceedings on top of on top of all of the expenses. And thank goodness that I have a long history of being um, civically involved, a lot involved in a lot of different um, organizations, pro bono activism, and I've made a lot of friends over the years. Um, the fact that I'm a writer, I worked, I used to work for Human Events. I did that for four years. Have a lot of articles published. I've worked for a lot of different publications, and I basically have a following of my readers and and my fans. I want I want to say, and those people, and not even not even them, not just them, not just of my my readers, but it's even like my friends from my old neighborhood in Queens, New York, um, my grammar school, St. Joseph's. My high school, St. John's Prep, uh, my college, St. John's University, all of these people that I've known over the years, they start donating to my campaign to bring the OPI home, children home. And if it wasn't for them, I just simply could not afford it because I was literally abandoned. So he abandoned the home that we lived in. He didn't pay the rent. He didn't pay the car insurance. He, wasn't, he didn't pay to make the car payment. He didn't pay my phone, so I had to basically regroup, reorganize, get set up somewhere else. And I, you know, at the time I was working part time um, for a rock store, which, which I still have a job there. I picked up more hours, um, and I did everything I can to get myself back on my feet. So I started driving Uber, but all of this stuff, you know, costs money. It, it, it's not, it's not, it's not simple. Um, but because of the help of my friends, I started GoFundMe um, fundraiser, then Facebook fundraiser, now I'm accepting, accepting donations by PayPal because it's really quick and easy, and it gets to me within minutes. I've, I've literally I've had about 200 individual donors in the past seven months, eight months, and I've also raised close to $10,000. Um, and without this, I couldn't survive. Um, so. I hired my German lawyer. I got my Hague hearing on January 29th. This is when everything went crazy. At the Hague, well, first of all, let me just tell you, during that time, my estranged husband wouldn't let me talk to the kids. So we're talking about on mom, on mommy, my two children, age 10, 10 and 12 now. And I've always taken care of them, me. You know, they're my whole world. I wake up in the morning, get them ready for school, for dinner, lunch, everything, and everything above. So these these are these children are my are they my my children are my whole life. So to be cut off, completely cut off from them, you know, it it, it was it was it was just the worst experience of my life. Right, so I'm, I'm crying myself to sleep. I'm passing their bedrooms crying. I can't spend five minutes in the bedroom where their things are. I can't, I can't even act like a normal human being because I'm, I'm short with everybody. I'm angry, I'm upset, and I just can't even believe that this is happening to me, that I've been stripped of my children and not even be able to talk to them. And the little time that he did let me talk to them it was like for, for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, and then it always, he always hang up on me with his thumb. I, you know, it would be a video chat, and I see his thumb, and he wouldn't let me say goodbye. 
And I just had no idea what was going on here. I, I, I mean, I called a whole bunch of agencies in Germany also. So I called the school. I called the registrar, uh, the registration office in, in the town that he lives in as far as whether they were registered as um, residents of the town. I reported it to ICE. I reported it to uh, immigration in Germany, immigration in uh, the United States. I was calling everybody under the sun, making my complaint, 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 complaint. He kidnapped my kids. It's not supposed to be there. He does not have my consent, and so on. And it, I wasn't getting anywhere. But this hate treaty seems to be the answer to everything, right? So I get my hate hearing, and here's the problem. And this is why the hate treaty exists. Because when you, when you have the benefit, he has the benefit of his home, his home turf basically. It's like judge shopping, right? So when you're judge shopping, it makes it easier. The the odds are better for the person judge shopping. So he's got the German judge. He's got the German lawyer. He's got the German translator. I'm not allowed to bring in my own translator, by the way. I was not allowed to bring in my own translator. And during the entire hearing, I don't really know what's going on. I just don't know what's going on. And when, when the judge did address me, it was always something like, what took you so long? What took you so long? What? And you're playing the victim. You're playing the victim. I am the victim. <laughs> I didn't know it. You're too confident. You're too com- I don't know. My parents told me to be that way. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, is that bad? You know, so I'm almost like this caricature because meanwhile, my, my Mr. Okiai was slandering and defaming me for nine months, you know, and he had submitted a bunch of paperwork to say that I was X, Y, Z, and, and he literally slandered defamation because, you know, it just wasn't true with the things he was accusing me of because, because once he started the first lie of kidnapping the kids, then it becomes into a bigger lie, and then he has to have a bigger lie. So by the time we got to the hearing, January 29th, I look like, you know, a crazy person from America who doesn't, know how, who doesn't parent her children. Um, so it was really uncomfortable. I, did, I don't think the translator actually translated everything that I was trying to explain to the judge because of the decision, the judge actually gets the facts wrong. Um, and then my lawyer, who, you know, um, advertised as an English-speaking lawyer, English-German-speaking lawyer, I just felt that he didn't say anything. You know, he wasn't defending me. It was like my estranged husband's attorney was badgering me. Well, you didn't take him to the doctors. You didn't, you know, all these custody issues, which is irrelevant in a hate treaty hearing. So I'm basically answering his attorney um, because it's being translated. It was just too, way too confusing. And this is one of the reasons why the hate treaty exists. Because, because the hate convention um, found that the easiest, because of these difficulties in language and laws and different laws in different countries, the best thing for the children, and this is the Hague Convention, the best thing for the children is just return them to their habitual residence without delay. The treaty says expeditiously, quote unquote, expeditiously return them to habitual residence. So in my mind, I'm going to this hearing and 
if the judge is in compliance with the Hague Treaty, well, there is no discussion about custody because there is no jurisdiction for custody in Germany. The only thing that the Hague Treaty, the Hague judge, the Hague, uh, even though you know, he's a family court judge, but the only thing she can decide is whether that removal of the children to Germany was unlawful, and I already proved that. So I didn't understand what was going on, why I was being harassed, why I was being, like, talked down to by the judge, and even my attorney told me to be quiet. And then, you know, I was thinking, why, why, why aren't you saying anything? Like, why are you letting them badger me? Of course I'm not going to be quiet because he's too quiet. You know, my attorney, I don't know what, and he said, you're winning. You know, she's, she's on your side. It sure didn't look like that to me. Um, and in any event, she basically, the judge basically said that she has no choice but to order the return of the children, but they had been so alienated from me for so long at that point that she said that she had had a conversation with both of them, again, through an interpreter, right? So this is all terrible because they don't speak German. So she had apparently had a discussion with the children, and she came to the conclusion, or an interpreter, then she came to the conclusion that they didn't want to go home. And they just didn't want to go home. They were very happy. They were safe. And he did a good job taking care of them. And I was thinking, did a good job doing what? Stealing them from mommy? <laughs> How is that a good parent? Right? That's not a good job. Oh, well, they have health insurance in Germany. Irrelevant. Return to habitual residence, period. Um, so she kind of, like, cornered me into, like, agreeing to a mediation. And the mediation was for the sole purpose of having a safe transition, smooth, happy transition from Germany to the United States. And that's what she said. And that's what I understood it to be. And that's what she meant. But Mr. Okyai thought it was an opportunity for him to have a, a negotiation with me regarding custody. And I show up to the mediation and I, I, express that, look, this is not about custody. This is only about the safe transition and and that's, the that's what I understood it to be, and that's what she meant. But Mr. O and the mediators were, uh, you know, concurred. Uh, so he finally started becoming a little straight in his head, like, oh, they have to go home. And I'm trying to be telling him this from day one. Um, finally, I had to, I had to, I had to, uh, the judge had to make a ruling, right? So mediation failed because he, he, he just didn't want to work on getting the kids home. He just wanted to work on delay, delay, delay so that I run out of money. And he was supposed to provide for me during the time of the mediation, and he just did it. And he just did it. He was just leaving me for dead. I was, I was, living, I was living in a room with no heat, no hot water because it was for free. Um, and... You know, this, this has just been a nightmare for me. Finally, I get a ruling. It's pretty, it's kind of wishy-washy. So it gives him two, it, she orders the kids home. She finally orders the kids home two weeks ago. Um, but she gives them two weeks to file an appeal. And now I spoke to my attorney yesterday, got some clarification, because very, it's very hard to communicate with him. Because I don't think he understands me, and I don't really understand him either. Uh, but I did get some clarification yesterday. So what's going on is Monday, this Monday, is the deadline for him to file an appeal, and I don't think he's going to. He has no grounds. 
I haven't seen an appeal yet. It's going to cost him money. He already has to pay for the return of the kid. He's already been ordered to pay $3,000 for the court, 3,000 euros uh, for the cost of the court proceeding because he's lost. So if he goes on to appeal, it's going to be out of his pocket. It's not going to be paid for by the state, and I don't think he can afford it. Um, and I think he realizes that he lost, but, you know, I can never tell. So from what I understand, on Tuesday, I'm going to have my final judgment. Now, here has been my problem. I got possession of the kids already. Once you ordered that the children go home, I took possession of the kids, and I haven't given them back. Um, and that's my legal right to do so. And, and by the way, they don't want to go back to their grandparents' house because those are the co-abductors. That's a, under no circumstances, they explicitly told me they don't want to go back there. You know, they, they kind of like start, it's very traumatizing for everybody, but they're starting to realize that they were lied to. And as it turns out, they basically told that, they were told that mommy abandoned them and that I also was never coming back. And they just had it in their head that a mommy was never coming here for them. Of course, little did they know that I was been working all of these months, working all of these months to get to my hearing. Um, so it, 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 it becomes like a shock to them. So, so like the people, their grandparents, their aunts, their father, the people they trust and love, it, it's 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 damaging to their it's damaging to them to finally kind of figure out that they, they lied to them. They lied to them about mommy, trying to erase mommy. Um they're very excited about going home now. So my hold up has been in at the American consulate, um I need to by the way, he stole my passport. He also stole my passport to delay the process. I was able to get a new one, emergency one, which is great. Um, during all of this time, I've been here for over two months. And my only holdup now are the kids' passports because they had the German passports have been flagged. They can't use those. So I go to the consulate with my order to return the children home, and they said, this isn't a final judgment. We can't use this. We need the final judgment. So here I am in Germany waiting for the final judgment so I can go back to the embassy, get the passports, and fly home. Then... As you know, two days ago, the president uh, banned most flights from Germany. Now, while that is true, but it doesn't, it's not the case for American citizens. So there's going to be a path for me to go home. I'm going to have to, we're going to be streamed. And I also read some reports that it might be possible that I have to be quarantined for two weeks with the children once we arrive. Um, I've reached out now in the past three days. I've reached out to um, my, my, my U.S. Senator, Rick Scott. They already responded. I already sent them a consent form. They know what's going on. The, the embassy, uh, like I said, the, Barbara Skoke is her name. Um, she's the head. She's the top dog. I call her the top dog at the U.S. Embassy in Munich. Um, it's actually, she's the general consulate. That's what her title is. And like I said, I've been in touch with her for the past nine months. She absolutely knows my situation, and, and she's definitely rooting for me. But, you know, she's like, it's a process, and it's a process we have to follow. But um, I'm thinking this judgment is going to come on Tuesday, and by Wednesday I'm back at the consulate getting the emergency passport and 
and getting the air, airline tickets and going home. This, um, I don't really know what the logistics are going to be with, with the flight home and the ban, and the ban on flights coming from Europe. Um, so that's sort of an additional problem. Uh, but I'm keeping my fingers crossed uh, that the U.S. government is going to kind of get me out of here. And I also understand that Merkel, uh, the prime minister of Germany, does want to get the American citizens out as well. So if there's a push from Merkel to get the American citizens out, and that's us, um, and there's a push from Trump to let us come in, <laughs> you know, maybe this can be expedited because the reality is that, you know, I'm living in a hotel with the kids. Um, we're in a we're in a state that has a ban on schools. They got a ban on all all kinds of concerts. I mean, there's a whole um, um, hysteria happening in Munich right now. The streets are dead. Um, the, you know, there's a lot of while there have been no deaths, uh, there's been a lot of cases. That, you know, because Germany is a hub, especially Munich is kind of a hub for Italy, Austria. Um, there's we border the Germans. Germany borders like seven different countries, uh, so that's that's probably that's part of the reason why it's high risk. They also have a lot of student travelers from Italy that come here, so there's many reasons why Germany has been put in such a sort of quarantine that I'm stuck in. I'm stuck in, and I need the United States government to step or I need President Trump, and I'm so glad that you sent them a letter. But I need President Trump to step in here and say, get this woman and her two children, American citizens, home as soon as possible because I'm running out of money. You know, I'm living literally day by day. Donations keep coming in, and I'm so grateful uh, to my friends and family who have been um, donating to me for the past eight months. But you know what? They're going to get sick of it too. Um, I mean, how much longer is this going to take? I've been promising that I'm coming home since January 29th, which was the hearing. I thought this was going to be simple, but you know what? It's not simple. And I'll tell you what, George, when I get back home, this, this is going to change because they're going to, because Washington, D.C. is going to hear my mouth because if, this, if they want to follow the hate treaty, well, they got to help us. Okay, they can't just, oh, go hire lawyers. Oh, go fly on a plane. Cost $1,000 to get here. Go stay somewhere. Go, go off and go get your kids. Oh, really? Like, that's so simple. They, they really have not provided any assistance, like real assistance, and I think that has to change. So that's where we are now. Well, Raquel, uh, while you've been talking, I've been sitting here uh, pulling, I pulled up the, uh, the Hague Treaty or Hague Convention. And one of the things that, that, that comes from, that I, that I see here in this is uh, the procedural nature, okay, which I, I think people uh, need, really need to, to, to take notice of this because this is at, the Hague is at the heart of, of, of the situation for you. And if, World governments, like the United States, are going to abide by the Hague Treaty, then it is obvious to me, at least, at least in my understanding of this, uh, the path going forward for you and your children is 
being able to, once that final judgment comes through, being able to get on the plane and make your way home. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me point out what the procedural nature says here. The convention does not alter any substantive rights. The convention requires that a court in which a Hague Convention action is filed should not consider the merits of any underlying child custody dispute, but should determine only that country in which those issues should be heard. Return of the child, or children in this case, is to the member country rather than specifically to the left to the to the left behind parent. The convention requires that the return of a child, or in, as in Raquel's case, children, who was a habitual resident in a con, in a contracting party immediately before an action that constitutes a breach of custody or access rights. The convention provides that all contracting states, as well as any judicial and administrative bodies of those contracting states, shall act expeditiously in all proceedings seeking the return of, of children, and that those institutions shall use the most expeditious procedures available to the end that final decision be made within six weeks from the date of commencement of the proceedings. Now, this has been going on, I, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm guessing here from, uh, based on the date uh, that, that it commenced, has been going on for more than six weeks. So Definitely. In fact, it was, filed, it was filed December 24th. So this, the clock starts ticking at the at when it was filed in the court, and that was December 24th. That was a long time ago. Definitely, way more than six weeks, based on uh, based on what you're telling me. Um, without what, what what how are the children holding up in, in, in all of this? How are the how what is what is their how is their emotional uh, response to all of the, the the situation that's taking place? Um, they're they're happy to be with mommy. Um, my my son my son is is so much fun because he all he cares about is that mommy gives him 500 kisses every night. And this is before this was going on before I left, right? So he's always like, I want 500 kisses, uh, you know, on the cheek uh, before he goes to bed. And I would say, Oh my goodness, I can't do 500. My lips get sore. <laughs> so I would give him 100, and then he would say 200. And I'd be, oh. So the very first time that I got a visit with them before they came in my possession, um, I get into the back seat with Dennis, and he says, and I said, do you want 500 kisses? He goes, no, I want 1,000. <laughs> so he's kind of excited, and, and now I've, I've been rigged into, I have to give him 10,000 kisses when we get back to the USA. <laughs> so, um, but um, it, it's very, it is very difficult for them. Uh, they, You know, this idea that, they loved and trusted their grandparents and their aunt who moved in when the kids moved over. Like when the kids came over, the auntie moved in into the same bedroom. So it was like 50, 50 year old auntie who doesn't have any kids of her own. Plus my two children living in the same bedroom all that time. And she sort of took on the role of mommy. And that was, that was what was the intention. You know, that was the plotting and planning the kidnapping so that, 
the sister who had no children wanted children so badly. This was like a gift to the family. My kids, right? So, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous, bizarre. So I think they're starting to feel the whole, how could they do that to us and, and lie to us about mommy? Um, it's been really difficult, um, although they're holding up really well. Uh, we've been doing what I call mommy's vacation school. So I picked up some notebooks, I printed stuff from online, worksheets, reading material in English, and their vocabulary is starting to build again. And um, because I, it's very unfortunate they were in a school that had some English classes, but the main goal of the school was to teach them German. Um, but without my support, even though kids learn languages pretty quickly, they haven't learned German with any sort of fluency. So I found out that what they were doing was like doodling, daydreaming in class. They really weren't learning anything in the main classes. And as far as homework was concerned, uh, the auntie was reading the homework, translating it, helping them with the answers, going back to school with German answers. They have no idea what's going on. You know, um, it's very, very unfortunate. It's going to be really hard to catch up, but we're going to work hard on it. So they like the mommy summer school. We've been doing that um, for a week, and our mommy's vacation school. Um, but they're really anxious. They're really, really anxious to go home. They want some type of normalcy in their lives again, and so do I. And I'm sure that uh, the children want to see their, their friends and, and, and go back to their own schools and, 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 and just be, you know, be able to, to have that, that normalcy in their lives where they can, be, they can be normal children, having what normal children have, which is a lot of fun, and, and being able to, 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 to enjoy life uh, at home with, with their mother and, and with their friends and so forth. Um, what, what, is the, what is the one, uh, the, the one worst-case scenario uh, that, comes to, that, that, that has come to mind for you? I mean, I'm sure you... You've run through the, the, the gauntlet of different worst-case scenarios while you've been in Germany and uh, in, in dealing with this process. Uh, the reason I, I ask that question is because uh, there, there are a lot of parents right now that are, that are listening and watching uh, this broadcast uh, that, God forbid, you know, they, they, they hope and pray, I'm sure, every day that, you know, that something like this that never happens to them. So if there is a worst-case scenario, um, what is that one uh, that, that, is, that, is, that has uh, been in the back of your mind uh, through all of this process? Well, the worst case scenario right now for me is that the court keeps delaying this process, and that's in direct violation of the hate treaty. Because I've been learning that other parents in this situation while they've kind of been at the same point that I am. So they're, they've received an order to return, and for one reason or another, the case keeps getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Where I made the right decision was to come here, um, to get on a plane and come here. Weeks, it was a few weeks in advance of the hearing, so I've been here since January 7th. And during that time, I was able to you know, have visits with them, um, Although they were, he was around for those visits for the most part, 
I had some alone time with them to kind of explain, Mommy's been working really hard to get you back home. Um, and, and the worst thing that I found, which I, which I didn't expect, uh, was that they were so alienated from me. So this parental alienation is very real and it's very damaging, and it happens quickly. So within six months, they were already in their school doing their thing and um, understood it that mommy's not going to come. We're not going to see mommy anymore ever again. And they, were, they adjusted to that. And for me, that was, that was shocking. <laughs> so how did they get to the point where they were so alienated from me that they told the judge that they wanted to stay in Germany? Like, they've changed now since that hearing on January 31st with all the time they spent with me. And at this point, they just want to go home. Um, and they don't want to go back to the abductor's house. But if I wasn't here, so some parents, some parents just don't have the resources to, to go and do the things that I've done. So worst case scenario right now would be that I run out of money and the case keeps getting delayed. And then what? I can't get out of Germany or this coronavirus with the ban. You know, when I saw the, somebody had posted on my Facebook page, when I woke up in the morning, I saw it. And it basically says, you can't get out. And I was freaking out. I was freaking out. I started writing letters to the embassy, to the State Department, to all of my contacts, to my attorneys. I was freaking out, and then I learned that American, that, they, that American citizens have to come back, right? So you can't, there's a, in fact, there's a, there's a federal law that says, I'm an American citizen. I have to, I have to be let back in. Um, but this is, you know, this is a nightmare because I'm so close. So the worst case scenario right now would be I'm homeless, and I would have no other choice but to bring the kids back to death because I can't take care of them. Or I show up at social services. My, my attorney said, if you run out of money, just go to social services with the kids. Okay, so now I'm dealing with social services in Germany. I don't need, <laughs> you know, I'm not a German citizen. How are they going to treat me? I haven't been treated that great by the judge. I haven't been treated that great by anybody else involved. So now all of a sudden social services are going to be sympathetic to my cause? I don't think so. Um a very difficult situation. I would tell parents um, never to let your children go abroad um, alone. Um, I, I should have said no. Um, I should have realized that this whole trickery, uh, all of a sudden he's being so amicable, so nice about the se upcoming separation, so, so pleasant with me. It was all an act. It was, it was a trick. Um, never get foreign passports for your American citizen children. That, that was a big mistake of mine because um, I ha I'm forced to now get through the regular process to get passed, even though there are going to be emergency passports issued quickly. I still have to go through the process, and the process is that I need consent or custody or full custody. I don't have full custody, legal full custody, until I get the final judgment. So, you know, I wasn't aware of any of this until I got here. Um, so I would be really wary of, of my spouse or my significant other or the, you know, whatever the situation is, if your kids are going to um, fly abroad, go with them. Go with them. Or don't let them go at all, which, which I would have done differently. You know, in hindsight, of course, I would not have let them come at all. And um, I just want to kick myself 
uh, every day uh, for doing that because it because I put them in jeopardy. Um, and a lot, oftentimes, kids who come over, a lot of times they spend time in hiding. Um, I also read that 50% of the top 50% of them experience some kind of um, sexual abuse while they're here. Um, I don't think that's the case. I know that I'm pretty sure that hasn't been the case. They were at grandparents' house. They were being taken care of. Fine. I mean, I don't think it's great care because you're, you're trying to erase mommy, and, and I don't think you're so great when you're doing that. The parental alienation in some countries is considered child abuse. Uh, experts say parental alienation is a form of child abuse because it messes up with the ch children's heads, and that's, what, that's exactly what happened to them. Uh, they were completely alienated from me for so long, uh, but we're gonna, you know, it's gonna take us time. And me too. I'm just devastated. I'm, 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 I'm just beaten down at this point. I just want to go home. And now with the ban, that's just an additional hurdle. Um, we might have to face quarantine. I have to go back to work. I have to make money. How do I survive with the children? And I haven't been, I haven't been home in all. I've been expected to take all this time. You know, it's a disaster, and, and I think that the U.S. government should do a lot more for people for left-behind parents like me. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. They should, they, and they must. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, Raquel, as I said earlier, I had, I had sent a letter uh, via the White House contact page, and I'd like to share uh, with, with everyone uh, that very letter that uh, I send on your on your behalf to President Trump. Uh, in fact, the the uh, the audience watching on the video feeds uh, is able to see the letter uh, right up front. So, uh, bear with me. My hands are uh, not cooperating at the moment. I keep shaking. I don't know why. Uh, but eh, what are you going to do? Dear President Trump, I'm writing to you on behalf of Raquel, and I'm really bad with, with last names. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. I am so sorry. I'm so bad with your name. And mother of two whose desperate situation is just that, desperate. She is trapped in Germany with her two children, and the reason she is trapped there is because last summer, her husband told her he was taking the children to visit their grandparents in Germany and decided he wasn't coming back, thus kidnapping the children. She has been in contact with the U.S. consulate in Germany. She has fought in the German courts and managed to get her children back in her custody. But sadly, the courts are dragging their heels, and in order for the consulate to do anything to help her, they need the courts to issue the final judgment. President Trump, she is an American citizen. Her children are American citizens, and they are desperately trying to come home. Their story breaks my heart, and as a journalist, I'm supposed to be in a dispassionate or something like that, and it's hard not to feel for for a mother of two, of two that is trapped in Germany. I am writing on her behalf in the hopes that there is something you can do. Please, Mr. President, help her and her children. 
and I know you'll do everything in your power to help them if you can. But please, sir, help them. My prayers and hers would be answered if there is anything you could do to help them. She is running out of time, and unless something is done, she may have to surrender the children back to the kidnapping parents, namely their father, and she is trying to divorce him as a result of his kidnapping the children. And so, Mr. President, please, I beg of you, help her and the children. And I signed it sincerely, George Sinzer, journalist. Thank you. In all my years of doing this broadcast, I have never once written to the president for something like this. My hope and prayer is that uh, he does respond, that, that he does do something. Given the situation with coronavirus right now he's, he, and, and, and a lot of other issues on, on, in the world that, that directly or indirectly affect the United States, yes, he does have a lot on his plate. But I firmly believe that this is something that must take precedent, especially now. There is no doubt in my mind that, that this family has been put through hell long enough. Um, Raquel, once you return to the States, and I, I know you got to, once you get back and you get the children back into school and, and you're back to work, I know that once you get off that plane, and of course with the coronavirus situation, there's a possibility of quarantine. But even that, I would think, the first thing you, you would do is breathe a sigh of relief once that plane touches wheels on the tarmac in the United States. Or at the very least, because I, I, know, I know if it were me, the first thing I'd be doing is getting on my hands and knees and going, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm home. I'm home. We're home. <laughs> Definitely. I can't wait. You know, I love my country. Um, I'm a first-generation American citizen. My father was uh, born and raised in Cuba, and my mom was born in in Puerto Rico, and they met in New York, um, and the rest is history. Uh, But my father was a – they're both deceased. Uh, My father was a journalist um, in Cuba at the time of Castro's um, takeover, and he was writing for the newspaper, and at first he was for the revolution because Castro promised free elections and uh, property ownership and so on, and uh, what ended up happening was something very different, right? So they literally, so according to my dad and other research I've done, um, the the Castro's Cuba uh, they just started taking private property away from everybody. It was like institute formal communism, you know, right off the bat. Um, so my father started writing against um, Castro's Cuba in the La Habana newspaper, which is where he was working at the time. And um, he was put he was put in prison, and the sentence was death. Okay, this is what goes on in communist countries. Okay, he was sentenced to death. Right, so that would in that time they were usually doing firing squads, right, firing squads. But because my father had studied at the monastery in Cuba, and at that time the Catholic Church had an, in, had a foot in Germany and were had some power, uh, the cardinal, the cardinal in the Catholic Church was able to get my father out of prison. 
but this was not easy, right? So they take my father out of prison with a shirt on his back and they put him in a, on a ship to New York Harbor, right? He speaks Spanish, right? So he, starts, so he gets to New York Harbor. He doesn't get to say goodbye to a fiance. He doesn't get to say goodbye to his parents, his sister, his brothers. He had no other choice but with the shirt on his back to get out of Cuba. Otherwise, they were going to kill him. Um, then he, he was forced to come to the States. He had to learn the English language. My father has a PhD, um, and he was washing dishes for a living until he learned the language. And, you know, was, my, my parents lived the American dream. My father loved America so much that he, that in my childhood, we had a, my parents collected fine, um, my parents were collectors of art. Uh, so one of the one of the portraits that they had was an exact replica of the U.S. Constitution on my frame on my living room wall, like a blown up copy of the you know with every with all of the signers' signatures. It was an exact replica, and my father told me, "Kiss the ground you walk on, because you live in a country that's free." So this is how this is how I was raised. I was raised to love my country. My parents, you know, they, they would be, I wish my parents were alive because they would have helped me through this whole process, um, but I know that they're looking down on me from heaven, um, very proud of what I've been able to accomplish because these are their grandchildren who they love. Um, and there, I, there's nobody, there's, I, I can't say there's nobody else who, who feels this way, but you, like, my love for America is so strong. <laughs> You're talking about I'm an American, you know, down to the core. You know, you can't tell me anything different. I love my country. I love my country. So, yeah, when I get there, I'm going to be on my knees. I'm going to be crying <laughs> because I'm going to be so happy. I can't home. say that I blame you either. I cannot say that I blame you. You know, you and I, you and I share a love of country. Um, now I'm a petite mall epileptic. I couldn't serve in the United States Army the way I wanted to. But there's a state defense force here in New York called the New York Guard, and they accepted me with my epilepsy. And even though I had major surgery back in the 80s, I was able to serve my country. And long before my mother's passing, she got to see me in uniform for the first time. Right after I got a, right after I got done with a lot of training and stuff, and I walked into the house. She was, she was at the stove, doing something, and I walked in very quietly. And I took my I took my hat off, and I stood there and I went. <clears throat> Mom didn't blink. I went, Mom. She turned around, took one look at me in uniform, smiled from ear to ear because she knew that for, for a lot of years, from age 18 up to that point, I wanted to serve my country because I believe in what this country represents and what this country stands for. And I believe that the Founding Fathers founded this country not as a democracy but as a republic. So when my mother saw me in that uniform and she took a look at me and she just sat down 
And she said, well, are you going to sit down and have a cup of coffee, or are you going to stand there at, at attention all, all, all afternoon? And I went, gee, Mom. She goes, I'm your mother. I outrank even the general, so sit down. <laughs> she was so proud of me, you know. And, and I remember my brother, uh, he, ma- he made a joke about it, of course, because he was U.S. Army. And uh, he just jokingly said to me, George, I hate to tell you this, but your fly is open. And I said, Billy, it's a button-up uniform. He goes, made you look, sucker. (laughs) So when it comes right down to it, I I, believe me, I know what you mean about uh, love of country and and pride in one's country. Um, And, of course, you know, your children having been born in the United States and, and, raised, and being raised there, uh, I, I'm guessing here, but I'm sure that they share that same love of country that you do, that we all do. Um, I know the stress has, has been enormous on you. Uh, since you've got the children back with you, have you noticed in any way, uh, the stress affecting them as well. I mean, it, it has to it has to have taken its toll on them in some way too. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they're you know, but they, their kids are very resilient. I think they're more resilient than the adults sometimes. Um, so I think they're handling it pretty well. Uh, they. If there's some confusion, um, they're really anxious to get home. Uh, they're really anxious to get back to school. Uh, they're, they want to, it's almost like they forgot a lot of stuff. So that parental alienation, like I was saying, is so strong that when I said, oh, remember when we used to go here or we used to go there, or remember that time we, we did this or we did that, they sort of like, uh, I don't remember. You know, it's it, it, it's really unfortunate because this parental alienation basically cuts off your whole entire past. It cuts off your heritage. Uh, your past is. It was like it seemed to me that they were having trouble remembering, kind of like even things that just happened a year ago, just before they left. They were having trouble remembering you know, events, um, how happy we were, how much stuff we used to do together. Um, and it's just been taking a little bit of time. And now, because they've been in my possession for three weeks. Um, so I keep bringing up things about our lives in Florida. And they're starting to remember. So it's, it, you know, they're really anxious. They're tired of living in the hotel room and, you know, while I was alone here, it was easier for me to get along so I could stay basically <clears> on a couch <throat> in the room. I, I didn't have the children with me. Um, but since they've been with me, it just becomes a little bit difficult because they need, um, you know, eat, hot water, bed, uh, food. They like to eat. <laughs> you know, they're 10 and 12. You know, they want everything. Um, so it's been a little expensive, but, um, of course, I'm just so grateful to have them and everything, and I'm, 
I'm just I'm not tr I'm just trying to make it as normal as possible. So, you know, we get up, we take our showers, we start school, we take breaks, we go food shopping together. Um, we, you know, it's not too much sightseeing or anything like that. The whole coronavirus, I mean, it's not much for us to do. I don't really want to go in too many crowded places unless I have to. But we've been back and forth to the embassy a few times. You know, they're kind of, they, they like a train ride. You know, they're just kind of like hanging tough. You know, they're, they're, they're like mommy. They're tough. <laughs> you can't be raised by me and not be like me. It is so sense, you know. So, now, now, you, you, uh, you said that, you said to me uh, in our conversations uh, that you're originally from what part of New York originally? I'm from the same county as Donald Trump, Queens. There you go. See, my father was was originally from the Bronx, and then he and his parents moved to Peekskill. Um, and I remember all too often being told, George, watch your temper. You sound like your father. And that was my mother telling me this, of course. And I never noticed, but there were times when I would get angry and I would sound like I'm from the Bronx. And when it finally hit me like a lightning bolt, I'm sitting there going, I'm not from 200 Toy Toy Street and the Toy Avenue here. You know, it's, I'm from, I'm from Peekskill, New York, Westchester County, for God's sake. So I, I, when it comes right down to it, we New Yorkers have, have, have that, that, that automatic trigger that says, you mess with me, you mess with my family, you're going to regret it. You know? Um, <laughs> So it really, it, 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 to see you smile right now, to see the, the smile on your face right now, uh, speaks volumes as as to as to how hope how, how very hopeful I I see I see hope in, you, in your eyes I see hope in in, in your demeanor, um, but I have I, I, there's one question I have to ask and, and, and I re, I really don't want to ask this question, but I'm going to. Um, the children's father, okay, when you first met him, okay, when you first met him and, and courted him, you were being courted by him and, and of course, ultimately got married, was, did, did you see any kind of noticeable change leading up to the departure uh, for him, for, with, him and the, with him and the children going, to, going there to Germany? Did, was there was there any kind of warning sign that you might have you might have missed or or you saw it but you you, you just kind of like uh, it'll be all right you don't you, you follow what I'm saying what I'm trying to ask here because there's there's some, some it, it's somewhere along the line uh, their father went from being and I'm of course I'm guessing here uh, being this 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 loving husband and father to being this criminal kidnapper. And that's what he is. He's a criminal. I'm sorry. The man committed a, a felony crime of kidnapping, federal felony, no less. So what, what, was there any kind of, of uh, any kind of noticeable warning sign or something that didn't quite, didn't quite sit right with you at, at, leading up to that point? 
based on, on, on the years you have been with him. Yeah, when we got married, it felt like. You know, I've, I've known him for 20 years, um, and uh, we had lived together for quite a few years. It had, it had to be about eight years we were living together. And I was, I was a divorced mom. I had two sons. Um, and the four of us, we got along great when we were living together. In fact, my, my oldest son and him are very, very close um, and close friends. And everything was, was really great. Um, when, after we got married, things really started going downhill because his parents, who are Muslim, um, they just never accepted me. And, and it's not your typical, you know, problems within laws. You know, everyone sort of has them. Like, these were really big problems that I was seeing. So the parents, they just disliked me so much. Uh, that that they at some point they just didn't even want me to be in their presence. Uh, they would fly into. They live in Germany. They're from Turkey. They're Turks, uh, but they reside in Germany now. And they fly into the states and they stay with us um, with with you know the kids when they were smaller. When I was living up in Ulster County, New York, and after I got married, I moved to Ulster County. After I got married the second time. Uh, and uh, they were just really strange. Uh, they were just strange people. Uh, they didn't like me. Uh, they treated me like garbage. They said terrible things to my face. And in the very beginning, I used to be like, hey, you got to speak up for me. You know, they, they're saying all these things about me that are not true. And, and, you know, there were some points where he spoke up for me, but it started just getting worse and worse and worse. It got to the point where they were coming to visit, and I was getting out of town. I wasn't even allowed to be around them. They were going on vacation with my husband and my children without me, every just about every year. And for me, I, I didn't like it. I would fight it, but there was nothing I could do. It was like I was put into this position where, all right, if you don't want me to go, just send me back up to New because I'm living down in Florida at this point. I said, just send me back to New York. So I go back to New York. I visit my sons. I spend time with my friends. You know, it was almost like a little mini vacation for myself. And I kind of got into the habit of doing that. And you know, every but every time it happened, it always made a clash on our relationship. And it was part of the reason I'm not I'm not guiltless, right? So so I haven't been the perfect wife either. Um, but it, but that friction really put a damper on our marriage. And we were, we were literally at the point of separation, literally, right? So I was seeing somebody else. He was dating other people. We were leaving it. We were living under the same roof, contemplating divorce, but we didn't want to go through the courts. We wanted to go ahead and try out 50-50 parenting as soon as we can get it together where we can live separately. So at that point, we couldn't afford to live separately and take care of the kids. So we were living in the same house, and here was the trigger point. The parents came to visit the Christmas holiday right before the kidnapping. I left the house. I stayed in Tampa. I stayed at my friend's house for the entire time. It was, it was I think it was three weeks long. And um, when I come, came back, when they left back to Germany and I came back home, his attitude completely changed. He was all Mr. Nice Guy. Everything's going to work out for us, Raquel. I wish you the best in your life. Um, all of a sudden, he's 
super dad. He never was super dad before that. So he was waking up in the morning, making breakfast with the kids, going to work, coming back, doing homework with them. That was not something that he used to do, right? So that was always my responsibility. Um, all these things started changing, and I just thought, oh, well, he's finally maturing, or he's finally recognizing that he should play a bigger role in their lives and help me out a little bit at home, right? Because it felt like that job was on my shoulders all the time. And he was being kind, so he wasn't talking down to me. He wasn't, you know, all of these things that were that were the damper on the marriage, and, and I'm not going to say I'm blameless because I'm not, right? So I did things wrong, too. But at that point, I wanted the separation. I wanted the divorce. I was done. I was done with the whole family, with the whole, I just, I was, you know, I just didn't want it anymore. So now that he's being, okay, good, we're going to get this, we're going to do 50-50 parenting. Yay. But I just want to go on this trip first, right? I'm just going to go on this trip. You know, my parents are getting old. And they really want the kids to come to their to Germany. And I'd love to bring them to my hometown. And, you know, let us do that. And, and then when, you know, so, so the idea was when he was to come back, I was going to be living somewhere else and the kids were going to come to me. And then we were going to do the shared parenting. He was going to stay home where our residence was and I was going to be living somewhere else. So he knew that. I knew that. The kids knew that. But it was all a trip. Because I figured out through the paperwork, um, it's hard to explain, but I was really able to pinpoint this whole thing back to the plotting and planning of the kidnapping, which actually started that trip, which was the Christmas holiday trip. Um, they were planning the kidnapping of the kids. So um, I didn't know that. I was definitely naive. I was definitely tricked. And I was really fooled because I just thought, oh, wow, he's finally coming to his senses that this is the best thing, that we can't get along, that we're fighting all the time, that this is better just to be cordial, it's better to be amicable, um, and 50-50 and parenting can work this way. So he went from, like, uh, after the parents left and run early January, January 7th or so, from January 7th to July 4th, he was like, he was like, Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Nice Guy. And sure, that would be wonderful for the kids to go to Germany. I think they'll love it. Um, what a great trip that would be for them to go to Europe at such a young age. And, and you know, you know I, I, the way I looked at it was I didn't care about the parents. You know, if they, you know, they've been, oh, my parents are deceased. They love the, you know, they, well, I don't know about now what I think, but. At that time, in my mind, was they love the kids, they want to spend time, they're their only grandchildren, and I just wanted to be share, you know. Okay, they're the grandparents, they want to spend time with the kids, I understand that, they can have it, they can do it, you know. As long as you have return tickets, you know, what, what do I got to be afraid of, right? So they start school August 13th. They're coming. I didn't want them to go as far as August 12. The, the tickets were really supposed to be only, he, he left July 4th. He really was supposed to be within home within a month, but he had pushed it, pushed it to the 12th, which I wasn't happy. It ended up being like five weeks long, and I was really like, what did you do that for? Uh, because I need time to get them ready for school, <laughs> you know? 
um, that they need time to, you know, days in between. But then I thought, oh, well, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, I'll make it happen, however that, you know, however that was going to work. Um, and then, of course, you know, he didn't come back anyway. But um, what a mistake I made. That turning point was that last trip of his parents to the state where I was kicked out of the house as usual. And all of a sudden, I came back, and he wasn't the same person anymore. He wasn't mean and nasty and everything else, but he was he was agreeable to the separation, and everything seemed amicable, and I was just glad that it was moving in that direction. And what a nice opportunity for the kids to go to Germany. Now, it was like two days before the trip, two days before the trip. And some of my friends who just didn't like him, they had a good reason not to like him, by the way, uh, they Oh, Raquel, are you sure? You sure he's not gonna he's not gonna stay there with the kids? Oh no, I don't think. If I thought that, I would never let them go. I'd never let them go if I thought that was my response. So maybe like two days before July fourth, I I approached him privately and I said, you know, you don't you don't plan on keeping the kids in Germany, do you? You would you would never do that to me, right? And he was like, no, I would never do that to you. Unfortunately, the the uh, the the end result was he took them to Germany and had no intentions whatsoever of returning the children. Right. Now, with all of the uh, with all of this happening since since it began since this whole sleigh ride began, okay, now you had. Uh, friends through through PayPal and and so forth, helping you along the way. Um, if there was anything, any message you could send to those folks, um, you know, I I I would I would be remiss if I didn't give you that opportunity here today to be able to say to them because I, I you know going forward. Thank God for people helping me like this. You know, it's 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 so wonderful to see that people, you know, have have such a, such a warm spot in their hearts to help someone and say, you know what, this is wrong. You don't deserve this. The children don't deserve this. We're gonna we'll do what we can to help you. You know, and, and I'm I'm probably. Maybe I'm a little naive when I say this, but I know if it were me, I'd be the first one to say, "Don't worry about how, about about the money. Worry about about taking care of your children. That's the most important thing of all." So if you had, so if you could say anything to the uh, to the many people who have donated to help you along the way, uh, what would you say to to those folks? I say I love you. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so humbled and grateful. They brought me to tears. Um, and, and a lot of a lot of people, you know, a lot of them I know. Some, some of them have been family, and but a lot of them are just my basic Facebook friends that that have been friends been friends with me, you know, for years and following my Facebook posts and so on and. And even people with different political ideology, people that I fight with on Facebook, um, but we we remain friends over the years uh, because we just don't let politics into you know break up the friendship. They donated, 
Um, I, I, I have a, you know, there was a couple of big turning points. Um, I have a, um, a follower who follows me on uh, Facebook. He's a gun rights advocate, NRA member, um, been reading my work since I used to work for human events and so on. And I had started this old GoFundMe page. Things were happening a little slowly. I really needed money to get that application to the hate treaty put together because I needed certified copies of the birth certificates, of the marriage certificate, all these kinds of things. And all of that costs money, right? If nothing is nothing is cheap. Even the copies and the mailing and the everything costs money. And I was really struggling. And I got a $500 donation from one of my readers. And it was just felt, felt like a turning point. It felt like a turning point. Steve Nozak is his name. Um, and I, li- I was brought to tears. Brought to tears. I don't even. I've never met him in person. And he goes into his pocket and gives me five hundred dollars. Okay, that wasn't. He wasn't the only one. Um, a few weeks, of, maybe like a month later, I have a friend um, who's like a. a anonymous guy, right? So he wears the mask, he goes to all the things. He's a young guy, he's a really good friend of mine, Berto Shakur. He's, a, he's on Facebook. We met on Facebook. But him and I were co-organizers of an event in Florida a couple of years ago um, for the shooting death of a uh, black man in West Palm Beach, Corey Jones. He was killed by a police officer. I remember that. Police. In fact, you, you know his story, Corey Jones. Uh, so, in fact, the police officer was convicted, was convicted and sent to prison. Um, but during that time, uh, he was a member of Anonymous, and I was just sort of um, uh, sympathetic. I was very sympathetic to what happened. So I helped to organize an event, and um, I put people on my radio show. I wrote articles. You know, so I was really pushing the conviction of the, of, uh, the murderer who killed Corey Jones. Then that's how him and I became friends. So he lives out in West Palm Beach. So every time there's like an anonymous event going on in Tampa, he gives me a call. He says, hey, Raquel, can I stay at your house? I'm going to be in town. Can you pick me up at the bus stop? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've been friends for quite a few years. I, you know, maybe once a year he comes into Tampa and so on for one reason or another, and uh, we're we're friends. Um, so... Sure enough, an anonymous event was happening in Tampa. Berto, he called me up. Raquel, can I stay at your place? Yeah, sure, no problem. I picked him up at the bus stop. I dropped him off at the rally. I couldn't stay there with him, but I dropped him off, went back home, picked him up. Next day, he goes home. And I drive him to the bus, to the trade state, uh, to the uh, bus stop. And he said, can you do me a favor and stop at the bank? I said, I have to do something. I said, okay, sure. Stop at Chase Bank. I had to go there anyway. Uh, we stop at the bank, we get in the car, he hands me an envelope, and he says, I'm going to put, he shows me an envelope, he says, I'm going to put this in the glove compartment. After you get home, open it up and text me and let me know you got it. I said, okay. So I figured he's probably, I, I mean, you know, I mean, it's an envelope, like a cash envelope, so I'm like, okay, he's giving me a donation, right? These kids were taken at this point. So I get home, I go inside. The envelope six, six. I'm like, wow, what's going on here? <laughs> I open it up. It's a thousand dollars. It's ten one hundred dollar bills. I start crying, crying. I'm like, and then, 
let me tell you, Berto is a young guy. He's only like 24 years old or something. Um, but and he works, you know, he's a sous chef, and you know, at a vegan place, vegan place. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of money. You know, he's not a rich guy or anything. He's probably been saving that money for for months. Um, and I just was, I just, I just, I just was so much, so much. Um, so you know, it just felt like. It just never ended. So then, it, then I, ha- I have a, I have a couple of friends from the old neighborhood in Astoria, Queens. Um, Kevin Rosey, Tom Nahilly. They, they, Tom Nahilly called me up in Germany. He's like, who donated? Who donated and who did it? And I'm like, did this guy? Did this guy? Did this? And I'm like, no, yes, no, yes. You know, I'm gonna get them to donate. He like pulled three people. He sent me three hundred dollars by Western Union. <laughs> you know, like. Um, and my girlfriend, my, my niece, my niece Raquel, uh, she's, she's, my, she's my best friend, um, and she lives in North Carolina. And, um, you know, she's struggling. Everybody's struggling. It's not easy, and I know, you know, so difficult. Um, she gave me money. Um, my cousins, um, I have a cousin, Ray Watts. Um, he gave me a donation a couple of months ago, and he sent me a message. He said, if you need more Raquel, just contact me. I said, okay. So about a week ago, I said, you know what, Ray, I need some money because I'm running out. And he sent me $300 in PayPal. (laughs) I'm not crying. I wish I can't name. There's 200 donors. And I I wish I could name everybody. Colleen, um, Emily, um, you know, friends from my past, friends from high school, um, Michelle Pomero, uh, all of the, there's just so many of them. Um, there's so many of them that I, you know, I, I can't thank them all, but I thank them all. I thank every single one of them. I have a friend who donates $10 a month. Every month. You know, it's, it's, it's humbling. I'm so grateful. And honestly, honestly, I would not be here without them. I would not be here. I would be de- I would be home crying, crying my eyes out without my friends and family who have supported me. And it's not just the money. It's the encouragement. It's the um the praying, the prayer to I'm praying for you, Raquel. I'm praying. And you know they're praying. So when somebody tells you I'm praying for you, you know that they are praying and prayers work. Prayers work. Um <clears throat> It's you see how excited I'm getting when you ask that question because uh, I, you know, I told my kids I mean <laughs> I started making lists of my donors. I told my I told my kids, look at how many people want us home. Look at look at them. Look at them. This one, that one, me, never me. Two hundred of them. Two hundred. Have helped me. Oh, and when I first got here, I have a friend who gave me his points for, to stay at a hill at a um, Holiday Inn. I stayed at a Holiday Inn for seven days, and he gave me a donation. You know, it's just my friend Preston Olney. Um, he's, he's from Alabama. He's buying my tickets home. I'm going to reimburse him when I get. Uh, I'm going to end up reimbursing him. But I. But whoo, what a relief! She's also donated semi Western Union a few couple of times already. Um, but the relief that I know when it's time to buy tickets, I don't have to wait. I have the credit card information. I order the tickets. My boss, 
my boss in Tampa bought, donated the ticket for me to get here. You know, so it's on and on and on and on and on. It doesn't end. And, and without that, without the prayers, the support, the encouragement, the donations, I, I think I would be home crying my eyes out. So grateful. I'm so grateful from the bottom of my heart. Well, Raquel, let me, um, let me just say that uh, for me, and, and it is it is truly a, 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 I'm tr- I'm truly grateful to be able to uh, bring your story to light and 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 unfortunately I have to apologize for so well to my audience they heard every word you said throughout this whole thing but for a while they didn't hear me <laughs> I I have an audio board right here to my right hand side and I was setting up a, the the closing the closing outro for when I finally go off the air. And I forgot to turn the master volume back on, and nobody heard me, but they heard you perfectly. So it's like, oh my God, it's so embarrassing. But that, you know when what? did you figure it out? Uh, when one of when, when a fellow broadcaster on Blog Talk Radio uh, said in the cha- in the in the Mixler chat room in capital letters, okay, no sound. But he heard, I'm sure he heard you, but he just didn't hear me. <laughs> and, and he just said, laughing out loud, and I was good with that. <laughs> so he was good with hearing you, but he was even better. He felt even better not I'm having hearing you. Right <laughs> but, but you know what? It, 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 it's, it's, it is what it is. And, and the most important thing is that the people – uh, we are able to hear you, and that's what this was whole. This whole uh, broadcast was about this. This today's show was about you and the children, and the situation that you have been faced with uh, since this all began uh, last summer. And I, I'll, I, I, I cannot stress this enough, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to say something that that I that I, I that I feel is is very important to say, and that is. You're hearing what Raquel has been going through. You hear, you hear everything that has happened to her and her children from the beginning. You know how very hard it is for a parent to go through a, you know, a custody battle. Imagine, just imagine for one moment, the sheer devastation that this woman has gone through having her children taken to Germany and then finding out they're not coming back and having to rely on, on the generosity of so many people and to every person who donated money to her to help her along the way, I am going to say thank you because if it wasn't for you, if it wasn't for your kindness, your generosity, and, 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 and you know what, that's, that's the amazing thing about this. People will, will, will do amazing things when you least expect it. You know, I've, I've always believed that, that people are inherently good in their hearts and that they, when they hear of something like this, they want to help, and they do. And case in point, your situation. But you said something a little while ago, and, and I want to kind of 
go off, go, go off a little bit of, off topic for just a moment. You had mentioned uh, gun rights just a moment ago. Now, I'm, I'm a, I, I've always been pro-Second Amendment. I've always been pro-Second Amendment. I believe that every American who has the legal constitutional right to keep and bear arms is just that. We have that right. So I'm guessing here, correct me if I'm wrong, but you are also um, a pro-Second Amendment person. You are a, I don't know if you're a gun owner, but a lot of the folks that, that, that have come to my show over the years, many of my friends are gun owners. Uh, I belong to the Putnam County Firearm Owners Association here in New York. Um, and, and, and this, for a guy who's going to be 57 in, in just another month, uh, two years ago I actually bought my first firearm in my life. I never owned a firearm before. And if it wasn't for a friend of mine who, um, who is a contractor for the military feeding the troops and also a, a, a really, really cool guy to talk with, uh, I, would not, I would not be a gun owner now, you know? And for a guy who served in the military, not to be a gun owner, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, you know, a little strange, but, you know, it happens. With, with that said, a lot of a lot of places, a lot of states have have gone the route of gun control to the extreme. Uh, I don't know. Have you ever heard of of, the, of a New York law called the New York Safe Act? Oh yes, <laughs> for sure. Well, Governor Scumbag, I didn't cover the Cuomo. Uh, yes, I said it. I, I'm sit here. I, by the way, normally on this broadcast, I swear like a sailor. In fact, I could put most sailors to shame with, with my mouth. But because I'm talking to a lady and I'm trying to be as respectful as I can, because if my mother were alive today and she heard me swearing in front of you, she would wash my mouth out with soap. She would, no matter how old I am. So... When you hear of, of, of a gun law that, that literally uh, starts taking away that, that, uh, that right to keep in their arms, that infringes upon the Second Amendment, what, what's, the, what's, the, the, what's the one thing that comes to mind uh, for you? And before you answer, uh, my friend Ron... Uh, Ron Reck, who is the host of Crazy Nation Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, uh, yeah, now, 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 Ron, I'll, I would love to have you come on and join us, and I'm sure you may have some questions of your own uh, for Raquel, but let me just, just say, please, please be nice to her, okay? Don't swear her out of existence. <laughs> well, uh, he might. He may, he, he may drop the F-bomb or, or a few other choice words, so I, I, you know, I just wanted to warn you that that may be a possibility. So, you know, that was quite all right. I'm from New York. I I swear quite a bit myself, and my mother wouldn't be happy about it either. (laughs) By the way, Um, but I I kind of fell into first time my mother heard me. I kind of fell into uh, fell into gun rights 
gun rights writing. I'm a, I'm a political junkie. I had a blog a long time ago called Raquel. Actually, I had a blog called RaquelWalker.com, and then I had a blog called RaquelOki.com, and I basically just wrote a lot of political commentary. And uh, a senior editor at Human Event, I was also endorsing candidates in the state of New York. I endorsed uh, one candidate, uh, David Balavia, for Congress, who, who was the um, who received the Medal of Honor from the president a couple of months ago, David Balavia, and I had endorsed him on my blog. The senior editor of Human Events, which is Ron, was Ronald Reagan's favorite newspaper, it's a Washington, D.C. news journal, conservative news journal, had um, come across that endorsement for David Balavia because he was a big fan of his. And um, he literally cold called me and he said, hey, I, I came across your blog and, and I think it's awesome. I think you're a great writer. How would you like to write for our publication? Um, you can start writing for us and if everything goes well, we'll pay you, you know, if, if everything goes well. He said, what do you think about the Second Amendment? And I'm like, I'm for the Second Amendment. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm basically a conservative. Um, I mean, I, I have I have a country house in upstate New York, and you know, like I've kind of been around guns and stuff. But I'm a New York City girl, so I, I didn't have it. I wasn't a gun owner at the time, um, but I certainly respected the Second Amendment. Um, so I said, of course I can, you know, because I wanted a job. <laughs> and then I, I literally, I wrote, I was writing one article a week, and then I moved up to six articles a month. And within three weeks, um, I started getting paid. And I not only got paid, but I also got retroactive pay. So I wrote for the, for the newsletter of uh, Human Events. So I also wrote, wrote about electoral politics as well. Um, and I had some, some articles featured on the, on the cover. Um, but my main topic was 2A. Um, so little by little, I really started getting to know the topic. Um, and at this point, absolutely would consider myself or others consider, consider me an expert on the issue. And um, what I had learned was the Second Amendment, of course, is liberty's teeth. I think it's George Washington who said that's liberty's teeth. So you, so you really can't have anything else. Like all rights are subject to the Second Amendment because if you just don't have that ability to protect yourself against a tyrannical government, what do you have? Well, you, you have Nazi, you have Hitler's Nazi, you know, you, of course he, he disbarred guns um, and all other despots. So the first thing they do is take away your guns. Um, so I learned pretty quickly that the Second Amendment was that important. Um, this, this, let's, I, I, wrote, I wrote dozens and dozens of articles about the SAFE Act. I was really, um, every week I, I was writing about the SAFE Act. I, I covered the SAFE Act effect from the very beginning. I was interviewing senators and, and Congress uh, state assembly people from New York um, who were involved with the bill, um, both Democrats and Republicans, in fact. And I put together, I have a book. I have a book. It's called The Progression of the SAFE Act. And I put together all of those articles into a book in 25 chapters. It's sort of it's sort of got slowed up with life and everything else. And I haven't actually published. Uh, but I was a speaker at the Gun Rights Policy Conference in uh, 2015. I, I I am a public speaker on the 2A topic. I have I've got about 400 articles published um, just on Second Amendment. So mostly I don't cover like the like logis logistics of firearms, like I'm not an expert at that. But when it comes to gun across the country, uh, that's what I know about. Um, and I just basically, that was my job. My job was to cover the news 
with respect to the Second Amendment. So every week, six, six articles a month, basically, I was covering some gun topic, and, you know, that's where I am today. Um, after uh, Human Events was sold to Town Hall, I lost my job. Um, I picked it up writing for Ammo Land, writing for Rockland County Times, writing for um, the Liberty Beacon. Uh, last year, I did a series um, interviewing NRA board uh, members running for re-election. I endorsed a bunch of um, a bunch of them. Every single one of my got re-elected to the board of directors. I have uh, videos on. Um, I have those interviews are online. They're at the um, the first. Uh, Liberty First Foundation. Liberty First. It's L F one. I think it's the website, or you could just Google it. Liberty First Foundation. Raquel Oka. You'll find all of my material there. I also hosted a um, a video blog about uh, interviewing just gun rights people. You know whether they were advocates, whether they were NRA people, whether they were uh, politicians. Um, I was doing that. I, ha I had like. 45 interviews online, and that you could find at TLB. So TLB.com website, Raquel Lokia, it's called In the Crosshairs. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of material out there on, on Second Amendment. I love the topic. Um, I, I used to have a radio show called um, Second Amendment, but I, I've done radio shows on it. I mean, I, I really have a lot of uh, material online with respect to Second Amendment. So that is my topic, for sure. Uh, before I bring uh, this uh, this caller on, uh, uh, let me uh, just say that we have a mutual friend on Facebook, uh, Mike Peters, yeah. and uh, he is the administrator for the Westchester County Gun Owners uh, page on Facebook. Um, <clears throat> you talk to Mike, I guarantee you guys will will hit it off perfectly. Uh, when it comes to this, but he's my friend. <laughs> I know my ears a long time, and I've interviewed him for stories. He, he's a great, great guy. Yeah. And he's a he's a fountain of information. He really is. But I yes, want to bring is. on. He knows everything. I want to bring um, this caller on to join us. He is the host of Crazy Nation Radio on Mixler.com. Uh, he's. Uh, also, he's also a friend of mine and a uh, fellow broadcaster. Uh, he and I, you know, we, we have our uh, our little back and forth. You know, who, who's the number one? You know, we're, I'm the number one station. He's the number one station. That sort of thing. You know, we, we have a lot of fun. You know, sometimes I I get a little irritated, but you know, it, it happens. But uh, Ron Reck is, um, is is a, is a, he's a cool guy. Uh, swears worse than a sailor does, and I think he, put, he sometimes puts me to shame even when it comes to that. But he's he's a good guy, and um, he does a really great show. I I, I can't stress that enough. Uh, I have been on his show more than once. I think sometimes he regrets my coming on the show sometimes. <laughs> but you know, all, all all jokes aside, uh, Ron Reck is 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 a cool guy. So I want to introduce Ron Reck of Crazy Nation Radio. Uh, bring him into the broadcast. His mic is on. It's hot. It's open. It's ready and raring to rock. No, no pun intended. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Here so, we go. Look, look. Um, here. Let me let me get let me jump on this real quick, George. Before you overriding. Oh, here's the deal. I reserve the right to the First Amendment, and I really stress that a lot. Really. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, wait, Raquel, sweetheart. My Believe heart's me, out I know. Here. You might, yeah, my heart's out for you, sweetheart. That's, I mean, that's, that's bullshit. Uh, having to go through all this, it's really sad. I mean, because I deal in the court systems all that too. But you know, uh, it's it's bullshit. I'm sorry, that's what it is. It's bullshit. You shouldn't have to be going through this. This guy should have been arrested. You know, for this. My personal opinion. You know, um, you should be free to come home. That that plain and simple. That's what it should be. But no, the system wants to complicate shit for everybody to make it more stressful on you to wear you down. That's what they do. Um, and it's sad. It, it, it said, yeah, they, yeah, my assistant here with me, and he's telling me they want to suck the last nickel out of you. And that's what they do. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of the things. And, George, you should have gave her the the, the uh, Surgeon General's warning about me before I came on. But anyway, that's how I think about well, it. Well, I, I <laughs> think that's there are things that do slip my mind. I mean, I've got, uh-huh. I've got the gray matter inside my head, but I've got the gray matter outside my head. That, that, yeah. He's getting to be an old, an old guy now. Well, you're hitting that 57 mark, Grandpa, so you know, just get used to it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, size joking around. But I, yeah, yeah, I do go for our right. yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's politics. When it comes down to the basic thing, it's, if they believe it's good for them, they don't care about you. That's how it generally works. And this coronavirus shit hitting us now, you know, well, okay, uh, I don't know what's next. I, I, I said it on my show when I said on Georgia's show. I said, here's the deal, man. You know, we just got done with, you know, the Russian collusion, the impeachment. Now this. Now this. This is the whopper. This is the big one. You know, this is really doing – and it's causing an economic stress, you know. You know, and everybody, you know, Trump's doing a good job. Well, he did. Well, till now. Now the stock market's, you know, falling drastically quick. And, I, you know, I, some part of me say this is a real event that's happening uh, right now, the Chinese elite just came out. The Chinese are blaming us for this now. Uh, but the thing of it is, politics don't think about people. They don't care about us, the people. They tell you they do, but they don't. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's pretty little basic math. You know, one plus one still is two, but they don't see it that way. And I'm, what I'm saying is, when it comes to the courts, you know, I don't know – why the U.S. Embassy is not actually backing you 100% to get your children back to you, because technically, legally, he did apparently kidnap your children. Because after they're away, you know, for a certain amount of time, not coming back, that's considered parental kidnapping in the United States, as far as I know. So that kind of, you know, it kind of that kind of makes me wonder a little bit what the what the hell is the embassy doing? Besides nothing, as they usually do nothing. Uh, I mean, I don't know if they're giving you enough support to help you well, through this or. To, Trying to back you in any way? The embassy. I, I don't put the fault at the embassy at this point. They're following the, you know, what they call the process. They're doing the process. Um, they're the. Uh, they're very sympathetic. Um, uh, they've been copied on all my emails to the State Department. Um, when I got here, I've been to the embassy four times now. I, I, you know, my estranged husband stole my passport while this was all going on. I had, I had oh, to file a report against him. I had to get an emergency passport. I got that. You know, they're looking for that final judgment, and they're going to get me the emergency passports for the kids. It's the kids that mm-hmm. need the emergency passport. And I believe right. they're doing the best I can. 
But I do, I do lay some fault at the FBI because the FBI keep calling this a civil matter. It's not a civil matter because when the U.S. Congress passes a law and the president signs it into law uh, against international parental kidnapping, that's right. a law. You know, it doesn't get better than that, right? right? The U.S. Congress passes a law, the president signs it, that's criminal felony code, federal code, and the FBI right. won't do anything because it's a civil matter. It's not a civil matter. It's a criminal matter. So the way it's right. set up in the United States is that they do not go after the abductors until after the civil proceeding is over. So you know what? It's going to be too late then. It's going to be too late. And that really aggravates me that the FBI doesn't do anything. Because what, because right. what I think is if it was the mother, their sister, their cousin, their next-door neighbor, oh, boy, they'd be mm-hmm. running around getting the abductor because it's mm-hmm. nobody to them. Uh, it's a civil matter. Let the, let the family court judges make these decisions. We all know what family court judges do. They play God. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. We already have you ever mm-hmm. seen divorce court? You ever seen divorce court? We know it's all about right. the money. So then they right. let my life, my American citizen children, hang in the balance of a German judge who thinks Germany has better health care than America, and the children are probably better off here. Mm-hmm. That's what's going well, on. Well, the thing, you know, family court's a joke. It's not even constitutional. Um. Technically, it's civil, really. But I mean, that's you know. But there again, they play it as they want. Um, but what, what I'm, you know, what I'm thinking is, first off, are you divorced from this guy? Are you legally divorced? Separated? No, I'm, I filed for divorce uh, before I left. Okay. Uh, and well, you know, the, with the way the Hague proceeding. Um, the way it is is that uh, the only place that has jurisdiction over custody and divorce is is Tampa, Florida, at this point where the right. divorce is filed. It's not even even before the divorce was filed. The, the, in this proceeding, the German judge has no jurisdiction over custody, and she admitted it herself. She has no right. jurisdiction. The only thing she can right. determine is whether it was unlawful. She already determined that. Right. The, the treaty right. says expeditiously, without delay, but they delay, 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 delay. I've been here since January mm-hmm. 7th. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like they want, it's like, it's like they want me to run out of money and go home. Yeah, they want to wear you down. No. That's what they or do. Or die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ron, the, yeah. the, 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 under, the, the overwhelming problem here is the delays uh, within the German courts. Um the, the Hague uh, Convention, where, where it talks about the procedural nature, and I, I, I'm going to read this again. This time the people, I hope, will hear me. <laughs> the Convention does not alter any substantive rights. The Convention requires that a court in which a Hague Convention action is filed should not consider the merits of any underlying child custody dispute but should determine only that country in which those issues should be heard. Return of the child, or in this case, in Raquel's case, children, is to the member country rather than specifically 
to the left-behind parent. The convention requires that the return of a child or children who was a habitual resident in a contracting party immediately before an action that constitutes a breach of custody or access rights. The convention provides that all contracting states, as well as any judicial and administrative bodies of those contracting states, shall act expeditiously in all proceedings seeking the return of, of, of the children, and that those institutions shall use the most expeditious procedures available to the end that final decision be made within six weeks from the date of commencement of the proceedings. Now, the proceedings commenced again when, Raquel? December 24th. Right. Here we are on uh, Friday the 13th in the month of March. That is way over six weeks. So then okay. the court that defaulted. Is way over the, six the, weeks. Right. The court, the court defaulted. Exactly. Uh, the thing, okay, but my, the, the question I'm bringing up is the divorce issue. Because technically in the United States, I don't know how Florida handles it technically, but I know Florida is a mommy state, they call that, where the mother automatically gets custody of children until the divorce proceedings concluded. But the thing is, too, if he left the country and he was gone for over 30 days, her husband, okay, that is considered abandonment, okay? So that's legal grounds for divorce right there, and plus you can probably get whatever you want out of the divorce for that you know, reason, because of abandonment. Then you're going to add parental kidnapping on top of that, where the FBI, since it's international, our state, the state, overstate, should be their gig, you know what I mean? They should be in this. They should be involved with this. I don't understand why they're not. That's the fun part. You know, I don't get. Well, I'll look into that for you. But, I mean, b- because it is what it is. I mean, it's, it, this is, you know, not interstate compact. This is international compact. Kidnapping. This is like human trafficking is what it comes down to. You know, it's, it's serious shit, you know. And why they have not got right. into this to help you, I, that's beyond me, you know. Uh but I mean, there's. I mean, I guess I've been in the courts for over 36 years. You know, I've studied. I've studied law and everything else. I'm not a lawyer. You know, I don't practice law. I don't do that. But I understand it. I understand how the game is played. You know, and I have a very good success rate. But the, the problem is, Germany, if they've already defaulted, the problem is you go poking at them some of the bitches, then they're gonna poke right back at you. But technically, what I believe should have happened. The FBI should have contacted the embassy. They should have gave you the passports and threw you on a jet back home. That's what it should. That's what should actually happen. You know, uh, but there again, the courts, just like German courts or some of the American courts, they're going to drag their ass until they milk you dry. That's what they want to do. That you know, because you got to go back in the history of the of the legal system here in the United States alone, and where you know Germany and most other countries have followed suit on the bullshit. Is what they do is they bounce it back and forth from the husband and the wife till they're actually out of money. They, they because before it used to be lawyers didn't want to take divorce cases; they didn't want to screw with them. But now big corporations have taken over the divorce court system now because it's a money milking system. You know, you sell your house, your car, and everything you got. Well, you're finally homeless and broke. Then they settle. That they bounce it back and forth like a tennis ball. It's crazy. And you know, I don't know what the German courts are telling you. I don't know why, but they they technically defaulted. I mean, I would file a motion that you know you defaulted. I want my shit. That would well, be obvious. But I'm actually I'm really at at the 
um, bitter end. So I'm expecting mm-hmm. to get my final judge, because the judge has already ordered the return of the OPI children to the habitual residence mm-hmm. in Tampa, Florida. That's already occurred. Mm-hmm. That occurred the right. ruling two weeks ago. But the ruling has not made the final judgment stage, and that's been the delay of the passport for the kids. But right. um, according to the, the decision, um, my teacher ex husband has two weeks from time of service, which is going to be Monday, to file for mm-hmm. an appeal. And we, I don't think he's going to file for an appeal. I don't know what happens when he does. Um, but from what I understand, on Tuesday, by Tuesday, I should have my final judgment. So the final judgment goes into effect on Tuesday. I get the passports for the kids, emergency passports, and I go home. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm, well, that, is, that is the best case scenario. Uh, let me right. let me just interrupt for one moment. We have we're down to two minutes on the live side of Blog Talk Radio, but because this broadcast is still live on the other platforms, uh, when this show goes into overtime on Blog Talk Radio, we'll still be live elsewhere. So just want to let make you all aware of that because we're we'll definitely be going into some overtime here. Um, well, I'd like to aware of that. I have an appointment. I have to go get you within 30 minutes, but uh, uh, oh, okay. I definitely want to follow up on this with you, bro. You know, keep up with her on this, see how this goes out, just, you know, and um, if I can help anyway, I'll give it a shot, you know, try to help you a little bit, you know. Uh, but right now I'm working on getting my wife home from, you know, Illinois. So, <laughs> so Yeah, and I have, and I have to get dinner. I have to get dinner. Kids. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yes. And I have to make sure that makes the major things for the children. Two hours, yeah. Absolutely. You know, they like to eat. Yeah. Well, at least you got the kids with you. At least you got the kids with you, sweetie. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Facebook, um, Raquel Okay, Raquel like Raquel Welch. Um, okay, okay, why, a, why, and just send me a friend request, and, and we'll, uh, well, I, would, we can I, don't do, I don't do Facebook, sweetheart. I don't do Facebook. I don't like Mike Zuckerberg. I don't like Zuckerberg. Okay, that's okay. Like I, I don't like but, Raquel, if you have an email address, if you have an email address, send me your email address on private message on Facebook, and I'll pass it on to Ron, okay? okay? Yeah, then pass okay, it cool. on. That'd be cool. Yeah. Give him my contact number, right. or whatever, you know. Either way, back and forth. That's we'll do cool. right on. Definitely will do. All right, brother. Appreciate it. All right. So All right, guys. Well, I'm going to blow this we... camp. All right. Rochelle, my, you're in my prayer, sweetheart. I wish you the best. Take care. Thank if there's anything I can do for you, just, you know, Thanks. just holler at me. Get a hold of George or Mike or somebody. They can get a hold of me. So I'm a hard guy to get a hold of, but, you know, I can, they can get pretty lucky to get a hold of me. So, but anyway. All right, sweetheart. Bless you, love and heart. Okay. And good okay. luck to you. And I, I will talk to you guys a little later. Thanks. All right. All right. We'll see you guys. Okay. Right. Bye. That was Ron Rex, host of Crazy Nation Radio on Mixler.com. If you want to check out his broadcast, uh, you can do so by going to Mixler, that's M-I-X-L-R.com, slash crazy-nation-radio. And take my advice for what it's worth. Bring some antacids with you because you'll definitely need them. That and, that and a major league bark bag if necessary. Uh, no, I, I'm just kidding, of course. You know, I, I got to do that. But Raquel, thank you so much for being here today and I do wanna, sharing your story. If I can, if I, I can, George, I do want to talk for follow-ups uh, whenever possible. All right. Um, 
give my best to the children. I do want to say something. I do want to say something before we close out. Go ahead. While I I concur that there are really deep problems in the family court system and the international parental kidnapping, federal crime is being ignored. There's a lot other. There's a lot more other families um, in worse conditions than I am. I consider myself very lucky, even though it hasn't moved as quickly as I've wanted to, and it hasn't moved as quickly as the Hague Treaty asks it to move. It is moving in my direction. I am winning. I am winning, and there has been help. I, I just want, you know, the Tampa Police Department has been on the case from, from the beginning, very sympathetic. Um, they have, he has violated Florida law. My, my attorney has been on the case um, in the state. Uh, you know, even the State Department, you know, has been following uh, the Center for uh, Missing and Exploited Children. No, like everybody sort of has been, you know, everyone has been doing what, what is within their control, right? So I think the controls have to change. I'm not criticizing the people behind the, the scenes because those people behind the scenes have to help me get here. So I don't want to. I don't want to say. I don't want to blame them. This is not their fault, right? It's his fault. He did the crime. What I think needs to change is the process. That the process should be simpler for people because without money. Um, without money, you can't get anything done. Um, and it's very unfortunate because, you know, where does it say in the law that you have to have money to have a criminal investigation done? Where does it say in the law you have to be divorced, you have to hire lawyers? Where does it say that in the, in the statute? It doesn't say that. Um, international parental kidnapping is a federal crime, and I think it should be treated as such. And when that changes, and, and they still, and they don't act, you know, then we have problems. So I, I'm very, very grateful to the people at the consulate. I'm very grateful to the people at the State Department. I'm very grateful to, uh, to the, um, the detectives on my case and from the Tampa Police Department. And I just want to be very clear uh, that uh, we're winning, and I'm really at the end. I'm at the very end, and I'm coming home with the kids, and you can take that to the bank. Laura Kell. It has been truly a treat for me to be able to have you on today, uh, for you to share your story and, and, and be able to tell people about what's happened with you and your children. Um, again, I, I, I would love to, ha I, I, I really do want you to come back uh, more often uh, to, to let us know what's happening, keep us up to date on what's happening. And, um, as I get ready to close out today's broadcast, uh, I, I'm going to say this, and, and Raquel, I, 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 I know you'll do it because you're a loving mother. Uh, give your children a, a huge hug, two hugs, actually. Give them two hugs. One from you, of, of course, but give them one from me because uh, they, I, I, as, as the people watching on the video platforms, have seen, uh, I have shared uh, an image of you uh, and the children together. They are absolutely adorable children. Uh, so they, they kind of, they actually kind of remind me of my, my nieces and nephews. They do. And, and, and uh, just let them know that uh, Big George here in New York uh, send, sends love and, 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 and hugs and you're all in my prayers. You are all in my prayers, and uh, I truly hope to uh, 
to get the, to to find out the the when you when you get back into the states, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. Okay, so please do keep us informed, keep us up to date, and 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 thank you so much for being here. Truly, um, I'm going to render a final thought, and then I'm going to close out the show. So Raquel, God bless you. God bless you and the children. You are you are truly you are truly a, a, an inspiration to parents who may be facing a similar situation, whether it's here in the United States or abroad. They're, if they're faced with this kind of, of nightmare that you've been faced with, well, guess what? You're coming out the other side. You've got your children with you, and you're going to be coming home. And I look forward to the day when I hear that Raquel and the children are here. And me too. <laughs> Thank you so much, George. I really appreciate the opportunity and the letter to the president and just the exposure. Um, I really appreciate it. So God bless you, too. Thank you. All right, Raquel, you have a wonderful day. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard the incredible story of Raquel and the children. And I'm going to – I don't usually get emotional. And I've been holding this back all show. But my hope and prayer is that these wonderful children and their mother come home soon. I am going to say this to the German courts. Do not let this keep delaying. Do not delay this any further. They deserve to be with their mother. They deserve to be home. Let them Come home. I'm George Sinzer, and for the comments I've made, what ones you are able to actually hear, that's the way it is from my perspective. Parents, give your children hugs and kisses. Let them know how much you love them. And always remember this story that you heard today. And I pray that no parent ever goes through what Raquel and the children have been going through. And President Trump, I pray that you will do the right thing, that you will get this story brought to your attention and that you will do what is necessary. Until next time, y'all be good, and if you can't be good, be careful. And if you can't be careful, well, the heck with that. I'm not going to say it. Take care, America, and everyone around the globe. From Firefox News Online, have a good day or evening or wherever you catch this in archives. Thank you for tuning in to Firefox News Online. Firefox News Online is a production of Firefox News Online Productions. Any rebroadcast, transcript, either in whole or in part without the express written permission of Firefox News Online Productions and its owner is expressly forbidden copyright 2020 all rights reserved. 
You can catch the links to Firefox News Online's broadcast by going to facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. That's facebook.com slash F-F-N-O-I-B-N. For the Firefox News Online Internet Broadcasting Networks. Hey, we'd like to hear from you, so send your comments to comments at firefoxnewsonline.com. That's comments at firefoxnewsonline.com. Also, any stories or topic ideas you might have, we'd like to hear from you. Send to we Report at firefoxnewsonline.com. That's we Report at firefoxnewsonline.com. Again, thank you for tuning in to Firefox News Online. I'm George Sinzer. Thank you so much for being here. We will catch you next time. So let it be written. So let it be done. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.